I knew my bad day was going from bad to worse when they asked me to go talk to the stranger. I was 19 years old and I applied to be part of a program that was designed to teach me, who knew nothing about airplanes, how to fly airplanes as a missionary pilot in some of the most challenging environments of the world. 100, 120 of us applied for the program, 60 of us were invited to a week of evaluation, 30 of us were going to be accepted, 18 of us ended up graduating. And so for the summer of 1991, I was 19 years old, I had been invited to be one of the 60 who spent a week being evaluated. The flight part of it was going pretty well. Yes, they threw me into an airplane and told me to fly, even though I'd never done anything like that in my entire life. Nobody had died so far in a week. Where I was struggling was in the maintenance aspect of things. Uh, one of the projects right on Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday morning, I don't remember now, is they brought us out into the power plant lab where you would normally be servicing aircraft engines. They gave us a box of parts, told me that it was a magneto, and that I had 30 minutes to assemble it and time it. And it made as much sense to me as it made sense to you right now. I had no idea what a magneto was, I didn't know why they needed to be timed, and I had no idea how it went together. I have since learned that a magneto is what's responsible for sending the spark to the spark plug that then causes the explosion that burns the fuel that powers the aircraft. I did not know that at the time. All I knew was that I had a box of parts. An instructor was assigned to sit across from me at the lab table, and his job was to take notes and to provide tools. He said, Josh, you may have any tool in my toolbox if you feel that you need a tool that you don't see. Simply ask for my tools, take good care of my tools. Timer begins now. He stopped talking and he started taking notes. I looked at the box of parts and I had no idea where to begin except with the big pieces and then work my way down to the smaller pieces, ending with the last big piece. Was my plan. That's all I had. I knew from the get-go, within the first 45 seconds, that I was doomed. And here's the problem. What was being expected of me was completely foreign. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. All I knew was that I was failing and that I was going to fail, that the next 30 minutes of my life was going to be a failure, and quite possibly God's call on my life was going to be reversed, and I was going to have to call up my parents and tell them that I, too, was a failure. Because I didn't know anything about the pieces that were in the box. I could not meet the school's expectations. This was not going to go well for me. It was like a foreign language. They were all professionals, and I was one year out of high school. So I began fiddling around, making stuff up, putting the pieces together the way you would a Lego set that you don't have the instructions for, you know, for the piece that makes the airplane fly, that Lego set. I was running through the tools that were available to me. The instructor was taking his notes, not saying a word. I'm watching all these other students begin to do mysterious things with their tools, and it was coming together in a beautiful way, and I didn't know how they knew things that I didn't know. I'd never been trained in this. It got to be about 15 minutes into the 30 minutes, and now I'm sweating. It got to be about 20 minutes into this, and now I know my life is going up in flames. And at right around minute 25, it gets a little fuzzy, but I, I've been told what happened, and it resulted in me being asked to go talk to the shrink. I, I started out with a screwdriver, a long one. I was holding it by the handle, but in my frustration at these expectations that there's no way I could meet, had developed well past fear into anger and rage, and I had flipped the screwdriver around where I was now holding it by the shank, by the blade, and I was beating the magneto. One of the internal components was not going the way I thought it should, and so I was 
smacking it with the plastic handle during this week of evaluation, leaving marks. The instructor never said a word. At least initially, he just reached for a ball-peen hammer and said, Hey, Josh, and I looked up, and he handed me the ball-peen hammer. It was his way of saying, Stop abusing my screwdriver. Beat it with the right tool if you're going to beat it. But hold this ball-peen hammer by the wooden part. Well, obviously, I, I knew that I was done at that point. I did not need the ball-peen hammer. There was nothing more for me to beat that wasn't already beaten. Beating it was not going to solve the problem. And now I had an invitation to go talk to the school for me. 19 years old. You see, I had expectations placed in front of me that were complete gobbledygook, which resulted in my frustration. I thought my life was going up in flames. I couldn't see beyond my future. I couldn't see how I was possibly going to meet my expectations, my family expectations, or God's expectations for my life because of this unknown quantity inside this small cardboard box, which led to anger, which led to the intervention of the instructor because I was being disobedient. I was misusing one of his tools, and I did permanent damage to his screwdriver that afternoon. You see, we're starting a new sermon series this week. It's only going to last for three weeks, and then we're going to have our Tough Buddy uh, event, and then we're going to start the small group study that Jeremy referred to on Sunday mornings, meaning Sunday, September 29th. But for this week and the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about establishing the routines that will save your sanity as we get back into the school season, because at the end of the day, we just need our children to get up and go to bed. And we need this to happen with as little frustration or anger or disobedience as possible as we set out clear expectations for our children as parents. Because the home run verse for this study and the home run verse that we're looking for today regarding parenting and how to help our children have a successful school year and to establish the routines that we need them to do so they can get up and then go to bed in an orderly fashion, and everything in between is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. The Apostle Paul writes in this passage, Fathers, the Greek word here is translated fathers in the, the Holman Contemporary Standard Bible, which I used to preach from, but in the Greek, the word can also be interpreted parents. So moms are not off the hook. When you see fathers, that's definitely an accurate way to translate it, but your Bible might say parents, because in the Greek, the word is open to that as well. So fathers, parents, don't stir up anger in your children. Your Bible might say exasperate. Again, the Bible that I'm preaching from this morning says stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, what I find fascinating about this verse is that we often hear, as moms and dads and as parents, we hear conversations going like this. You know, so-and-so set their alarm, and it was going off, and they were supposed to wake up, and they were supposed to have their clothes laid out, and they are supposed to come downstairs and brush their teeth and comb their hair and be dressed, and they are supposed to catch the bus at a certain time, but of course none of that happened, and it made me so angry because I had done all this work the night before to set them up for success on the morning of. And it's very common for us as moms and dads to hear other moms and dads sharing their anger directed towards their children. That's not what we find in this text at all. We do not find the Apostle Paul commanding moms and dads to not be angry with their children. In fact, we find the opposite. We find the Apostle Paul saying, parents, don't make your kids mad. What? Don't make my kids mad. I'm mad. 
Why is the Bible more concerned about me as a parent not making my child mad than it is my child making me mad? Shouldn't that be the concern? That's not the biblical concern. Two verses prior to this, we see the command that Paul gives to children, which is, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's directly, it's directly quoted from the fifth commandment, which we just got done studying. Children, honor your mother and father, for this is right. Paul repeats it in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right. That is a child's responsibility, is to obey. Our job as parents is to not anger our children. Well, what does this look like? We lay out expectations for our children that they either do not understand or cannot meet. Which leads to a child who is now frustrated. Which leads to a child who becomes angry because we're not happy with them. And at some point, the child says, if I can't make you happy, I might as well make myself happy. Otherwise, there's no happiness in my life whatsoever. Which results in disobedient behavior. One of the reasons we see our children disobey is not because they're a bad child or trying to be disobedient. They're angry. How do we know this? Because Paul commands the children to obey. We know that the children are trying to obey. Children know in general that obeying their parents is a good thing and that they love their parents and don't wake up in the morning seeking to make their moms and dads angry. But the anger follows their frustration, which follows expectations that we place on them as parents that may not be clear or may not be understood. And so, not this week, but next week and the week after, I'm bringing in a specialist who has studied children's behavior at great length and they're going to be helping me present some practical tips and ideas based off of the scripture, how we as moms and dads can lay out biblical expectations for our kids and help them get up and go to bed in a way without causing them to be frustrated or anger leading to their disobedience. Because biblically, a lot of the disobedience that we see at home that causes us to be mad is born out of the fact that our kids are angry. It's because they don't understand what's going on, we haven't set them up for success, and there are ways that we can do so. The bigger question that I want to deal with briefly this morning is kind of more from our perspective as being a child of God, because even as our children sometimes are frustrated with us because they don't understand what's going on, like I did not understand what was going on in the maintenance lab, is that we have the same frustration towards God. Things are going in our life a certain way. We don't understand why these things are going a certain way. We become frustrated. We become angry. And then the next thing we know, we're acting disobediently. We're doing things that we know displease the heart of God because we are well and truly upset. It started with not having a clear understanding of what God expected of us. What does God expect of us as people of faith? Even as we're going to be looking at setting good expectations and how to uh, manage our households with a degree of biblical wisdom, the first part of this series starts with, we as people of faith who are the sons and daughters of God, what does God expect of us? Knowing that we do not want to be disobedient children, but we also have to deal with the frustration and sometimes anger that comes with not understanding what is happening right now and what God expects of us. The whole run verse regarding God's expectations is found in the Old Testament book of Micah, Chapter 6, verse 8. And we're going to find some excellent instruction there for us this morning. Because what we find in this passage is this. Mankind, people, he, God, has told you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you. To act justly. To 
to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. As the sons and daughters of God, as people of faith, we begin to encounter some expectations that we can't meet. We begin to get frustrated. We begin to get angry before it goes to disobedience. Because in the scripture, we have the freedom to be confused. We have the freedom to be frustrated. We have the freedom to be angry. What we don't have the freedom to be is disobedience. We know that judgment comes with disobedience. Negative consequences come with disobedience. We don't have the freedom to be disobedient, even if it's obvious to us that that's the course of action based off of our frustration and anger. In the situation where we're beginning to feel frustrated or possibly angry with God because we don't know what's happening. He has handed us a box of parts that's called something that does something in some way that we have no experience with whatsoever. Others seem to know what to do with it, but we don't. What are we supposed to do? The Bible says that we are to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly. When this begins to happen to us, the biblical guidance for us this morning, three questions that we should ask ourselves when we begin to feel this frustration and anger before we get to biblical disobedience. The first question we should ask ourselves based off of this text, the home run verse regarding biblical expectations for us as people of faith, are we acting justly? Are we doing right? Is there any behavior that we are partaking in that is wrong? Are we breaking God's law or desires in some way that we just need to stop doing? Are we going about what we're going about the right way? Are we doing right? It's not a hard question, and all of us, depending on the situation, generally know what right looks like. And the first guidance that God has for us when we begin to feel frustrated with Him because we don't know what's going on in our life is, is there something that needs to stop? Is there something that needs to start? Are we doing right? If we're not doing right, if there's an obvious area in our lives where we are not acting justly, where we are not acting correctly, well, then there's your answer. That's where we need to begin. Put the big obvious pieces together first. The second guidance that we have from the scripture this morning, the second question that we can ask ourselves when we're beginning to feel frustrated with God because we don't know what's going on in our lives, is are we acting in a way where we love faithfulness? Are we being faithful and kind? Are we being kind in our faithfulness? Are we doing the right thing regularly and are we being nice about it? One of the reasons we struggle with our children and one of the reasons they get frustrated with us is every once in a while they do the right thing. And the systems in our house are designed for the wrong thing. And they surprise us by their obedience. And they wonder why we're not as happy as we should be because we don't trust their obedience. We don't, they have not been going about doing the right thing in a consistent way. And when we see them organize their little young lives in the right way consistently, then we begin to celebrate. God asks us the same kind of a question. Okay, great. If we're doing the right things, if we're acting justly, are we going about them faithfully? Are we going about them consistently? Are we going about them kindly? The biblical text says, uh, do we love faithfulness? And so it shouldn't surprise us at all that God continues to provide us guidance that might be mysterious for us if we're doing the right thing in general, but we're not consistent in it. 
if we're still somewhat regularly doing things that we know we ought not to do, we shouldn't be surprised when God continues to guide us in ways that we don't want to go. And so the first big question is, are we acting justly? Are we doing the right things? The second question is, are we doing it consistently? Are we doing it faithfully? Are we going about it with kindness? And the final concept is to walk humbly. What's fascinating about this part of the passage is that the word that is translated humbly only appears in the Bible once. It's not that the concept of humility or humbleness doesn't appear in the Bible often. It does. Every other time the idea or concept of humility appears in Scripture, it is referring to something that has been broken, that has been humiliated, that, has, that was at one level but has been brought down to another level. The way I felt that day in the lab when I did not know what was going on, I was humiliated. I went into the lab hoping to succeed. I left the lab knowing I was going to fail. I had become less. My pride had taken a hit. My sense of God's love in my life had taken a hit. I was fearful for the future. I had been humiliated, especially as my cohort were succeeding in this task that I had no success in whatsoever. That's how the Bible uses the phrase humble or humility every other time. We know that Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus humbled himself and was obedient and took the form of a man. He was God, he became human, and then he became the God-man. It was a humbling process for him. Every time in the Bible, save one, that's what humility means. Except this one time. The idea behind this word that is translated humble here has to do with being bound up. It's like the hem of a garment that has been stitched to the garment. The hem is bound up and then permanently fastened at a certain level. It's referring to a turban that has been wrapped securely around the wearer's head. Everywhere the person looks and moves their head, the turban goes too because it's bound up with their head. Everywhere the garment goes, every street the garment walks down, the hem goes as well because it's been bound up. It's been attached to. It's been secured. It's operating with respect to. This is what this word means here, to walk humbly with our God. It's not referring to the kind of humility where we are taken down a notch. It's referring to the kind of humility that after we've been taken down a notch, the Lord draws us together with him in a new way. We're bound up, not broken down. Been broken down, but now we're bound up. That it only takes place once in the scripture, right here, Micah chapter 6. It's what we're supposed to do when we're being frustrated because we don't know what God expects of us. Are we acting rightly? Are we doing so consistently? Have we been broken down, but now are we bound up? Are we humbly walking with, like a turban on his head, with the Lord? I walked into the shrink's office. He started off positively. He said, Josh, you belong here. If we didn't think you could succeed, we would have never invited you. We think you have the stuff that it takes. But the lesson that you just learned in the lab wasn't about success. It was about failure. Because, here's a, a question I want you to think about. Which is harder? Putting together a box of parts that you've never seen or flying an aircraft into unknown weather into an unknown country with people on board whose lives depend on it. 
Which one is more stressful? Which one matters more? Which one involves more knowledge, more faithfulness, more dedication, and more risk of failure? Well, obviously, flying missionaries and their families around the world and landing on a soccer field is a heck of a lot harder than trying to put together an aircraft component. He goes, that's right. And what we need to know is when you are confronted with failure, what do you do? And Josh, here's what you do. You get frustrated, you get angry, and you hit stuff. Does that sound like a good missionary pilot to you? What's going to happen in that airplane when the weather changes? And you get frustrated at the weather change. It's not fair, but it did. Are you going to get angry and start hitting stuff? That's what we need to know. I was completely humble. What a powerful lesson for a 19-year-old kid to be confronted with. Yeah, Josh, you just made a decision that showed us that even though you have the stuff that it takes to become a missionary pilot, you need to deal with your frustration and your anger in a new way. What's the plan? I thought shrinks were supposed to, like, you know, bring you in on your couch and lay you down and make you feel comfortable and talk about your mommy. That was not happening. 19 years old, life's going up in flames. What's the right answer? I had a little bit of time to process my experience of failure during this project. And I said, you're right. I got frustrated because I sensed the call of God slipping from my life. I got angry because I sensed that I was going to be humiliated in front of my family and my friends who I said I was going to go into training and not be accepted. And, and I acted out in a disobedient way. I left permanent marks on that screwdriver. And so it all makes sense. I understand why I did what I did, but what I know is that I can't do that anymore. Not if I'm going to be that kind of a guy that the Lord has called me to. And here's what I need to come to a better realization of, is that the same God that called me, that has broken me down, can also provide for me in those situations that I can act differently in the future. How about you go back to class and become a missionary pilot? Yes, sir. I think I will. Walking humbly with our Lord means that there are times that we are frustrated and angry at God because we do not know what is going on and we are humiliated. But walking humbly with our Lord means that we have not just been broken down, we have now been bound up because we have understood the importance of that the same God who has called us to be his son, to be his daughter, can also provide for us. Unmet expectations, they're frustrating, they can lead to anger, and it can lead to disobedience with permanent consequences. But where we're going to start this idea of helping our children get up and go to bed well is first experiencing as a son, as a daughter, not just being broken down, but being bound up like the hem of a garment, like the turban of a head, that everywhere our Savior goes, we go to knowing that He will provide for us, that we will not be left behind. We're going to move into a time of communion, and so worship team, if you can come and join me on the platform as we wrap up our time together this morning. As we move into communion, it's a powerful concept that the reason we are able to be bound up and walk with humility with our Savior is because Jesus has done something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. It doesn't matter how much we want to reach out to God. It didn't matter how much I wanted to be a certain type of person or a certain type of professional. I couldn't accept myself into the program. I couldn't graduate myself with a new skill set. Those had to be poured into me. What was my responsibility? It was to make a decision of faith and not allow myself to be taken over by my frustration and my anger. 
we have the same opportunity this morning. If there are unknown quantities about our future that might be causing us anxiety, God is doing something in our lives that we don't particularly appreciate. It is frustrating. It's a box of parts that we do not understand, and it is our task to do something meaningful with them, and everyone around us seems to have a clue. It's natural to be frustrated. It's understandable to be angry. It's not okay to be disobedient. And what's the biblical result? Are we doing the right thing? The right thing in this moment is to make a decision of faith and to prepare our hearts for community. If you've never made that decision of faith, then would you make that decision this morning about something like this? Heavenly Father, I have a box of parts called my life, and I've been trying to put it together for a long time, and I've just managed to confuse myself and others. I'm not asking for all the answers. I'm just asking for help. Would you forgive me of my sins, the damage that I have done as I have tried to put these pieces together? I own that. Can you forgive me for that? And can I place my faith in your son to receive inspiration and wisdom and guidance and forgiveness and training that I cannot provide for myself? If you've made a decision like that, or if you were making one right now, then I encourage you to take communion with us, because that's what communion is, is remembering that decision of faith based off of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The text also reminds us that we are to be consistent in that decision of faith. And maybe that's where we've been struggling. We haven't been consistent in that decision of faith. Then would you this morning make a new start? Communion is a great time to start. As the elements are being distributed, hopefully that answers your questions about whether or not you should take communion this morning. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, regardless of where you go to church, would you please take communion with us this morning? And then finally, to walk humbly with our God. Some of you this morning might be feeling like you've been broken down, that that's the part of humility where you're at right now, which is a very biblical process. Jesus himself was broken down. But would you begin moving towards being bound up and draw closer to the Lord this morning through this time of communion? I'm going to pray. The elements will be distributed. There's two cups stacked on top of each other. Take both of them. And then I'll share a scripture after everyone has received the elements. And then we will pray and take communion together. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to restore ourselves to you. Thank you for making it possible through the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. We are privileged to remember that moment in history by this small token of our faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.